I don't know if you saw me embarrass myself just then, having a seniors moment. Um, the row of chairs in front has got one more chair and I just sat down, there was nothing there. <laughs> and I looked around and I couldn't see any of my children so I thought it must have been a seniors moment. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, uh, the second letter, and um, one of the main themes of that is looking at the end times, looking at the return of Jesus. So please, uh, let's just bow our heads and I'll pray as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that, that your word is still relevant today, that you speak to us by your Holy Spirit as we read your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we open this passage now, that, that you will open our hearts, Lord, to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the best thing about me having that little accident was that I wanted to talk to you about stability. <laughs> because stability is one of those um, sought-after uh, qualities that are, it's appreciated in just about every area of human life. Um, if you're looking at buying a home unit, you particularly want to be interested these days in stability, don't you? That the foundations are stable, that everything is built right. But we look for our government to give us stability. We expect our, our government to, to rule in such a way that we have economic stability and social stability. Uh, when you're looking for a, a, a life partner, I'm sure that you are looking for someone who is stable, someone who is reliable. Uh, and I could just go on and on and on. But as we think about that, there are certain things that threaten stability and uh, stability is so important in the Christian life. But there are things, there are three main things, I think, that we can see in the scriptures that work against our stability as Christians and they're present here in this um, letter to the church in Thessalonica. The first thing that uh, breaks our stability can be strong opposition or persecution can cause us to waver. False teaching, the lack of the truth, can cause us to waver. And temptation, the pressure to return to our old life of, of uh, sin, can cause us to be unstable as Christians. So Satan attacks us in the physical area through uh, physical persecution he attacks us in the intellectual area through our understanding of the truth and he, he attacks us in the moral area in our temptation to sin now as we look at this letter and we read what is happening in Thessalonica we can see the people are under those particular strains and pressures to destabilize their Christian life and uh, the apostle Paul writes because he wants them to grow stronger on the foundation that he has laid in Jesus Christ. Last week, uh, Jimmy told us about, spoke about the truth and how the truth is under threat. And we read in that passage, the man of lawlessness, the antichrist is to appear and that will be an unprecedented time of instability. And many in the church in Thessalonica 
are faced being swept away through the storms of persecution and lies and untruth. And I don't think anything much has changed. I don't think anything much has changed. We too need this encouragement that Paul gave to these young Christians in Thessalonica about how they are to stand firm. So as we listen to his words of instruction to them, then we may be able to gain the timeless truths to help us too. So as we jump into this, this section then, Paul, first of all, prays in thanks to God for the salvation of the believers in, in Thessalonica. So after this um, diatribe about people not wanting the truth and, and refusing to see the truth, he comes back to where he started the letter, really, because in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, he prayed for them or gave thanks for them. And even in the midst of all this, he stops now and says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Believers can stand firm in the midst of any situation when we remember that our foundations are rock solid. Our foundations are rock solid. And we need to understand our salvation from God's perspective. And in these verses, Paul gives a very kind of comprehensive theological explanation of salvation. It is a bit heavy, but the reason that he, he goes through these details is so that we might be encouraged uh, to stand, not so that we might be confused about hypotheticals, but so in the practical world, we might be encouraged to stand. So the first thing we read is that God chose us or chose the Thessalonians from the beginning to be saved. Now, straight away we see there's a bit of a difficulty here because if you look at the NIV, it says not from the beginning, but as first fruits. Um, the older translations have from the beginning and the, the more recent translations have first fruits. The word can mean either. If it is from the, the beginning, that means we're talking here about election and predestination. So if you want to avoid a, a, tough, a toughie, use another meaning for the word. Now, I'm, sorry, I'm being a bit cynical there. But what is being said here is that God has chosen the Thessalonians and all Christians from the beginning and saved uh, unto salvation is the way that the, that the old AV puts it. You are, you are, uh, God has chosen you unto salvation. So you can, you can be confident because this is God's work. And uh, this truth may be a bit hard to understand if we try and work out the mechanism of it, but God tells us this in order to comfort us, not to confuse us. And our hearts are consistent with this experience of God's calling us unto salvation. Uh, we know that we can do no, uh, no good thing in our own strength to earn our, our salvation. And Jesus actually says um, to his disciples in John 15, on the, the night that before he was betrayed, he said to them, you did not choose me, I chose you. Now, why did he say that to his disciples on the night before he died? Why do you think he said that? 
because their faith was about to be rocked. Their world was going to be rocked, turned upside down as, as Jesus actually was taken away and crucified. So he says to his friends, you did not choose me. So this is not that you have to be able to survive this. I chose you and I am, um, yes, I'm going to be crucified, but I am your solid rock in, in whom you can stand. So God chooses us and he calls us. It's, it's God's initiative. So we, yes, we do need to respond to him, but it is God's uh, gracious uh, initiative. He calls us, as John says, out of darkness into his marvellous light. He calls us, he, he, does, he does that trans, translation from darkness to light. And uh, we read that he does this through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The means by which God has saved us is by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And this uh, sanctifying work of God's Holy Spirit means that it is God who dwells within us by his Spirit who works for us, who strengthens us and encourages us to, to live the life worthy of children of God, of, of sons and daughters of God. God has saved us. He indwells us by his Spirit and he continues to work in us so that we might become the likeness of God. And this new life is based on belief in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's, it is a package deal. When God chooses us unto salvation, he calls us to follow him. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ on which we stand, that Jesus came that first advent. He came as a baby. He came as Jesus who would save his people from their sins. He came as God in human flesh so that we could be encouraged and so that we could stand firm. So he's called us to this truth of the gospel and Paul adds, that we might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? All of this God has put in train so that we might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we might know God with us as we stand firm in him. So this is how our election is confirmed. Yes, it is God's work, but we, have, we respond as we truly hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and God invites us in by the sanctifying work of his spirit so that we become involved or caught up in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So after these words of thanksgiving and only after acknowledging these words of the truth of our salvation... Can Paul then charge the Christians in Thessalonica to stand firm? Okay, do you understand? Everything he's been saying is the basis on which they stand. And now he can say, brothers and sisters, stand firm in the truth. Stand firm 
on the solid ground of God's foundation. Verse 15, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings that we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. This is Paul's appeal to the believers who were suffering persecution for their faith, who were pressured to move on from the gospel into other esoteric truths. These who are being tempted to give up their life in Christ and to go back to their pagan ways. And Paul says, stand firm, stand firm. And that word is a picture word. It's the picture of a, of a gale, of a huge raging storm that is blowing everything away. So the Christians in Thessalonica are they're, they're in the storm and they could easily be blown off their feet. We had a living experience of this here Tuesday before last. We were gathering for our staff meeting. We just all happened to be um, out the front of the building. And the wind started and the leaves blew down the street with this huge force. And then they blew back the other way. It was crazy. The leaves were blowing from both directions and we're just standing there looking thinking, what is happening here? And then we uh, heard some cracks in tree branches, so we came inside and shut the door. Um, but we could look out the windows and we saw the branch fall off the gum tree. We saw two other trees kind of shredded before us and the rain kind of blowing horizontally. And we were inside on the firm foundations of our building and we didn't have to worry but there was no way we were going to stand outside and risk that. You see, that's the picture here, that, that in the raging storm, we can actually stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on God's uh, calling us unto salvation. We can stand firm because it is God on whom we stand. So... How does this work out for the Thessalonians? Paul says, stand firm, hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by letter. So stand for, firm in the truth, the traditions that were passed on by us. So Paul spent time in Thessalonica um, passing on those traditions of the truth of the gospel as he preached the message of salvation in Christ and a fledgling church started. But then he was run out of town and he wrote letters or sent others with, with messages. And we have two of these letters in the scriptures, don't we? So they were to hold firm, stand firm on the traditions that were taught by the apostle and we too stand firm on the traditions that are taught by the apostle as we read our Bible. So... The word of God that you have in front of you in, in your Bible is the word that the Apostle Paul was then speaking and writing and sending to those early Christians. So we've got the advantage. The Thessalonians had one and two Thessalonians and they had some oral um, tradition that Paul had spoken about that, um, that he mentions in those letters, but they didn't have much else. Well, they would have had the Old Testament those from the Jewish community. But we've got it all. 
We've got all the letters that... Well, we don't know we've got everything that Paul wrote. I'm not saying that. But we've got the letters to the churches that were given in the New Testament. And we can stand firm on that. Safe in the truth of the traditions of the apostles as recorded for us in the scriptures through which God still speaks today by his spirit. So we're called to stand in physical um, persecution and physical persecution will come. We've had a focus on that uh, in November as we prayed for the persecuted church but in our country how long will it be before public expressions of Christian faith are outlawed, you cannot speak publicly about that. How long is it before the, the, um, the bill for the freedom of, of giving religious freedom ends up being exclusive of Christians and of our ability to live the, the life of freedom that we would like to live? You see, these, these are actually signs of the coming of Christ. These are signs of the end times. Physical persecution, intellectual persecution is something that we are experiencing now. You don't really believe the Bible has anything to say about life in the 21st century. You've got to be kidding. It's such an antiquated and anti-intellectual book. You don't believe that stuff, really. Persecution from an intellectual perspective. In the universities, anyone who claims to believe any meta-narrative, any major story of life, is ridiculed. Can't be trusted. You've been duped. Intellectual persecution uh, continues and will continue to grow, as will moral persecution. Um, <clears throat> this comes our way with our children in schools. The things that are acceptable in our state government schools are not in accord with Christian teachings or principles. And if we stand up and try and do something about it, well, then Christians get... Um, shouted down as being repressive of, of, of sex and of, of having hang-ups and issues. And what's wrong with our young people exploring their sexuality and their gender? And what right do we have to say that, that um, certain forms of, of sexual relationships are not right in God's eyes? How do we stand? How do we stand? Paul was confident that the Thessalonians would stand. And he shows this confidence as he prays for them at the end of this um, section here. He prays a prayer of reassurance. He's, he's given thanks to them for their salvation in Christ. He has given them the grounds on which to stand as he encourages them to stand firm. And now he prays for them that um, they would be reinforced uh, by, the, by the power of God through prayer. And he says in verse 16 and 17, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, 
who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Paul is praying for encouragement for these Christians. Eternal encouragement. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? There is an eternal encouragement that comes from God that can never fade or perish. And how are these Christians encouraged? It's all about the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. And notice that these words are actually um, given in the past tense. Who loved us and by his grace gave us. We can stand firm because these truths happened in the past. Again, on the cross, God showed he loved us. The action is complete. We have total confidence in Jesus and his grace. He has given his grace because Christ has done what needed to be done for our forgiveness and for our restoration. So we have eternal encouragement. Isn't that great? We have eternal encouragement that will never end. And Paul prays that we, along with the Thessalonians, might know that. And with this, he says, um, we, we pray that uh, in verse 17, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So the encouragement that we get, this in eternal encouragement that we get from what Christ has done in the past, is what will strengthen us to do what God calls us to do. We're not just to stand firm uh, and just be like a pillar. We are to stand firm and, and to spread the love of God, to do the works that he's called us to do. Every good work and deed, if we trust in Jesus and in his eternal strength and encouragement. So today... The prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians is just as relevant for us, isn't it? That God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ will encourage our hearts and strengthen us for every good work and deed. The Lord has good works for you to do. That's why you're here. That's why you don't just kind of become a Christian, just get dispatched straight to glory. We're here because we are supposed to be God's witnesses we are to stand firm and to do the good works and deeds that Christ has planned for us to do. So let me ask you, when the storms of life assail you, and I'm sure uh, this is a reality for your life and this is only going to happen more and more as we wait for Christ's return, when these uh, storms assail you, your foundations will show your foundations will show. Any attempt to stand firm in our own strength is doomed to fail. And sadly, as the warning was given to the, to the church in Thessalonica, there were some who fell short. That is still um, a possibility today for those who don't have that firm foundation. So let me summarise. God chose you from the beginning to be saved 
through the sanctifying work of his spirit and through belief in the truth of the gospel. He's called you that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, he has said, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings that we've passed to you as you do the good deeds and actions that God has planned for you to do from all eternity. That's a big charge, isn't it? And we are here to encourage each other uh, as we live the life together for God's glory. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our rock. We thank you, Lord, that your foundation in Jesus Christ is rock solid. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to follow you and to live for you and that you promise that you will give us every encouragement that we need to do the good deeds and works that you have called or prepared for us to do. So help us, Lord, as your church to walk in your ways for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen. As a response, we're going to sing, and you can probably guess what song we're going to sing, so if you'd like to stand and join us.